3: Oh, hello. That's annoying. Literally, as I started talking to you, I just stubbed my toe on a stool. That'll learn me to wander around chit-chatting away. Um, How are you? How's your week been? I can't really lie. I've actually had a really nice week because Richard and I went away. Yeah. We went to Italy. For four nights, just the two of us, we left on Monday. We just got back. It's Friday, Friday afternoon, so um, we're back for the weekend. Yeah, we had just some time, just the two of us. So we went there Monday after the kids had gone to school, and then had all of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So three whole days there, and the bits and bobs we were getting on with while we were there, but we were also just chilling and eating spaghetti and drinking nice local wine and enjoying the sun. And I read a whole book, I know. Um, It was really, really nice. And the reason I'm sharing it with you is not to boast, but to please implore you that sometimes it's okay to go away. Uh, It's funny, I've had so many chats along the way through these podcast chats about the guilt you can feel when you go away. Uh, whether it be for work but actually also probably even more so when you're just doing it for fun uh, but actually it's so important and Richard and I have been dealing with a lot around here with doing the tour together and working on the new album together so it's actually very important I think that we went away and spoke about other stuff that wasn't worky things or family things although obviously we spoke a lot about the kids on our way because that's what you do isn't it Anyway, it was very, very nice and I'm now back in my home and pottering about and the drive home from Stansted was nearly enough to take the holiday relax out of the system, but not quite. You didn't win Stansted. So, yeah, back home, pottering, uh, tidying up, sorting things out, but thanks so much to all the people who held on the fort when I was gone. So that's a combined effort of Carolina, Erin and my mum. Helping keep my children where they needed to be while I had some time away, which was really important. And then this weekend, what have I got Actually, nothing tomorrow, Saturday, nothing, very quiet. And then I've got a gig on Sunday in Bristol, a festival called Foodies Festival. And I think I might take my 10 year old. Um, the little two have got a party to go to, and the elder two will not want to come with me. But uh, I think the 10 year old, Ray, he'll have a nice time, so we'll do that. And yeah. Um, Everything else just taken over, really? Um, I'm trying to think what's happened this week. I mean, I came home and the fish tank's still on the side, which made me remember the fish has just died, and that's sad. I think I'm the only person in the house who's sad about the fish. Maybe everybody else is hiding their grief. I liked having a fish. It was a nice constant. We'd had it for about four years, which I think is pretty good going for a goldfish. Actually, no, I thought it was good going, and then I looked it up, and actually goldfish can live for 15 years, so... Maybe it wasn't that good at all. But I did still like the fish, and I'm sorry that it's no longer here. It got some strange infection where it could no longer swim upright. It was swimming on its side, and then it became just lying on the floor of the tank. And I Googled it, and it said it could be a bladder infection to give it mushed-up peas. So I did that, but it still died. So I hope I didn't give it the wrong kind of pea. And... Yeah. Um I'm excited to share today's podcast chat with you because um I've wanted to speak to Sophia Webster before. I think she she seems really lovely. I love her designs. They're very um beautiful shoes but also um very characterful. You can really tell her shoe designs. So I wanted to get to know a little bit the designer behind the shoe and I also didn't I've never met her before. And she was very warm and welcoming and let Claire Jones, my producer, and I come all the way over to her house. And she lives in a beautiful house with stained glass windows and a lovely garden and a lovely colourful home. So obviously I liked all that because my house is also colourful. And yeah, it was just really lovely to chat and hear about her, her creativity, but also about her family because she's a mother of twins. And I don't think, you can correct me here, but I don't think I've spoken to anyone who's had twins so far and obviously that's a pretty different experience and also as you'll hear i mean nature can be cruel sometimes she has a dark sense of humor because sophia um when she was pregnant with her twins uh, suffered with her feet her feet collapsed and then she had to have both her feet put back together with pins i mean that's a pretty harsh outcome for anybody but for a shoe designer i mean come on mother nature what are you thinking Uh, But anyway, she's happily the other side of that and now expecting her fourth baby very soon, actually. And so it was very nice of her to let us come over. And, yeah, so she has three daughters and she has a stepson as well, a teenage stepson. So you'll hear all about that. But, yeah, while you're listening to us chat, picture us in a very beautiful kitchen with lots of lovely colour pops everywhere including a gorgeous crochet blanket that was slung over a sofa in the kitchen, which was from a woman on Etsy called Nana Sue, which I immediately found the shop of after I came home and bought my own crochet blanket for a chair upstairs because I had a blanket on there and it it completely um fallen to pieces. So I had a very good excuse to buy a nice new blanket. I love a blanket. Anyway, I hope you can hear the uh, remains of, I don't know, four days of sunshine and negroni and my voice definitely feeling pretty relaxed at the moment before the weekend will probably put a little bit of stress back in there but right now feeling pretty chilled so enjoy our chat and i'll see you on the other side ciao grazie mille Thank you very much for having us over today, Sophia. It's lovely to see your beautiful, colourful home. It's an absolute delight. And I'm very happy as well because I'm a fellow colourful home owner. (laughs) So being here is making my heart very happy. And we've got a really lovely day. So I've got some sunshine. Yeah, it's beautiful today. And it's funny because I have spoken to so many people for the podcast, but actually you're only the second person I've spoken to who's actually having a baby while we do the chat. Right, okay. So you're a couple of months away from... This is baby number four. Four. But yeah. I suppose five in your family, because you're a your stepson yeah. as well. Yeah. So how's everything been going with that? How are you feeling at the moment? Um,
4: yeah, I'm feeling good. Um my last pregnancy was twins, so it's it's quite different to that. Um I didn't think anything could be worse <laughs> really than carrying twins, because that just by the end of it, just was like I've got quite small frame, so um it was um it was a struggle, but, um, like, obviously, like, you know, it was a, a blessing as well, but it was definitely um, an experience that I don't, I would, wouldn't would necessarily want to repeat it. Um, but this pregnancy, I thought it would be a breeze, but now I'm finding, it, I'm finding it pretty similar, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think...
3: Um, Honestly, sorry, I sound,
4: like, super negative, don't I? <laughs> no, I
3: mean, actually, I think um, I've had... Uh, a real mixed bag with pregnancies and I think like my third I was in a bad mood for pretty much the entire thing so I think yeah you carte blanche too yeah, yeah yeah and um, with was twins something that was in your family already
4: no no I am um, so I had my first daughter when I was in my late 20s um and then after I had um BB my first daughter I um we, we tried maybe like four years, three, three or four years later and then I found out that I had um, stage four endometriosis. So it was a bit of a struggle. So I had um, fertility treatment. So I kind of knew that there would be a chance that we'd end up with twins. Um, so, yeah, no, it wasn't. They're the, they're the first set of twins that are in our, either of our families. So, um, yeah, but then this baby, like, obviously we didn't think there was like much of a chance that we would... Um, be, you know, I'd be able to have um, children, actually, but there we go. I've had a complete, like, surprise. <laughs> but we're very happy, yeah. Oh, that's so, amazing. Yeah. I didn't actually
3: realise that. Yeah. And endometriosis, from what I understand, that's really chronic. And Stage four sounds like something that must have been a massive part of your life without knowing that there was a name for it.
4: Yeah, yeah, I mean... Um... Yeah, I was actually due to have an operation like the beginning of this year, so I haven't actually had um, the that, that sort of tissue that process where you have it removed yet. So I'll probably have that um, after after I've had the baby. But it's meant to it's meant to when you have a baby, it's meant to um, th- like for some people it gets better, but for me it got worse. So
3: oh wow, yeah. Well, it's interesting talking about it because I was listening not that long ago to a radio show with someone who had endometriosis, and I think. For some, like for me, like my awareness of it has really come up in the last few years, and I look back at some girlfriends at school who had really painful periods, and I thought, oh my god, I wish I could go back in time and say, I think I know what's what's causing this. But um, one of the women speaking about it said that her doctor had actually prescribed pregnancy as a way for as as, a, as pain relief.
4: Really, which is pretty. Yeah, shocking. No, I can, Yeah, I can. I can see why that would that might be the case. because It does seem to. The symptoms are definitely. Um, less when you're when you're when you're pregnant
3: yeah well I suppose, yeah and I that's a beautiful thing that you're having your baby naturally especially after yeah, you've know. had so many twists and turns yeah. along the way yeah it
4: was it was a, a really a really nice surprise yeah
3: so your other children the twins are the same age as my youngest aren't they they're, so they're three is that they're right three yeah yeah and that's a really lovely age.
4: Yeah, that's I mean I think that's my favorite age because they get really chatty and their personalities start to kind of really develop um but they what I love is the way they just say things wrong all the time. I don't even like correct them because you know they're going to find out what things are how things are pronounced and stuff properly in the end. So I just like to hear their little the funny funny things that they say. Like Definitely. my one of my twins she loves like going going to cafes and restaurants, she's like such a diva. But her favourite is: I take her, We take her to this um, new pizza restaurant. We went to, out with our um, family to this pizza restaurant, and she was like, "Are we going to pizza in spread?" <laughs> <laughs> she, she means like pizza express I was like no we're going to a different one she's like I love pizza and spread <laughs> but I just don't correct them because I just I think my daughter Bibi said chicken nuggets for like till she was like six but I just you know I just love that
3: yeah and then they become part of like the family um dictionary anyway yeah you're right yeah. like we still call a, a computer is still a poot because Sonny used to call it "camputier" when he was little, and it sort of got shortened to "poot." So like now, even now, I'll be like, I'm just on my poots, and then, which then you forget that no one actually knows what you're talking about anymore. Yeah. Or the studio is tudo, and all those little words. And I think I think that's what I like about families when like it all gets interwoven with your. Just every day, yeah. chat. And it's yeah. Like, actually, these words don't really exist. It actually, guys. Um, so you said your your first daughter, she's seven. She? She's seven.
4: Yeah, seven. She'll be eight in August. Yeah.
3: And a little bit like me, you've you've got a teenage boy as well in the house with yeah, your yeah. Yeah, my stepson. Yeah. Your stepson. So he's sixteen. Did you say? Yeah, he's just about to do his GCSEs. Yeah. Oh wow, that's quite a lot. Big thing, but I think. um, I actually kind of feel like they should prescribe uh, spending time with babies for teenagers because I think it's a really
4: yeah 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 good mix definitely yeah it's 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 a really nice dynamic when when he's here.
3: Well, talking about your work, so what's happening with you in the world of Sophia Webster? The the is it quite strange actually that you have obviously your name yeah. and then it's also the name of your business. Do you sometimes feel like it's a bit?
4: yeah it is I think I actually think if I was to go back in time I probably wouldn't give it my name I probably would have just you know made up a brand name or something because it definitely complicates everything when it's your name it's like the stakes are just always higher for you and it, it could be anything like I don't know I don't know like um even down to like the really, like, granular details, like, the, I don't know, the Instagram caption or something, and, you know, and it, then... Um, or something's gone, something's gone wrong, and someone's like, dear Sophia. <laughs> it's like, well, it's not... You know, there's, like, a lot of people that work here. <laughs> I'm not on, on top of everything. Um, and when things don't turn out quite how I as we have envisaged them as well. And, um, you know, I think it's just a definitely feel like I would have had like a maybe a bit more um would be able to look with a bit more perspective a bit give things you know be able to step back a bit more if it wasn't if it wasn't my name
3: yeah a little bit of separation and I think similarly but then again it's so much your baby and if you're a designer it is like the norm isn't it to have it be your name it's quite unusual to have that force that, and presumably when you start out you're not sure where everything's going to end up anyway, so you're just no, about getting yeah. awareness and your yeah. things
4: out there and i think also there's like an element of like ego you know when when you when you're young and you first start and you're like i want to show the world what i can do and then it's kind of you know we're nearly like 10 years on now and i'm like well we don't you know don't I'm not necessarily the same person you know so um but it's nice it's shoes so it's I think people people like know the name, but they're not unless you follow me on Instagram or something. You might not necessarily know what I look like, so it's it's like they know my name rather than they know kind of who I am.
3: And can you remember the first time you were out and
4: about and saw someone wearing your shoes? You know, just unrelated. Yeah, it was it was actually amazing. It was in um, so my studios in Shoreditch, and um, I saw a girl. I did I think it was my second season. I did um, some. Kind of like jelly shoes, like they but with heels, so the heels were like glitter and the upper was um like a jelly shoe construction and um I saw a girl cycling in them and she just looked so cool and I was like Bobby like I said to my husband, Bobby look. <laughs> I tried to chase her down the road with my with my iPhone. Um so that was really cool. But I I love spotting people wearing them but I don't um I don't always know what to say or whether to say anything and then sometimes I suppose there's ways you can interpret you're wearing my shoes as well. (laughs) They're definitely mine. (laughs) Yeah, I find it a bit, I I don't know, you'd think I'd get used to it, but especially if people come up to me and I'm like, oh, I love your shoes, where did you get them? And then there's like a bit of an awkward silence. I was like, what do I say now? Um, And I think if I say, oh, yeah, I'm Sophia Webb, so I designed them, I don't know, I feel like general, like, they might be a bit underwhelmed because I'm kind of not I don't know if they think they're buying this like super glamorous into this like really you know what what you might think someone might be like and I'm probably just a bit ordinary
3: (laughs) well it's interesting you say that because I suppose like from here I was just listening to you and thinking it's an incredible thing to design anything it's an incredible thing to be able to take a vision from your head and turn it into an actual thing that someone can wear and as you talked about construction and all of these things and you know, you mentioned the granular level of things, but that's like a key component about making sure the quality of work so that it's Definitely, all exactly as you yeah. want it. But alongside that, you're obviously building a business. Yeah. So that's you know, you're you're, you're a fashion designer, but also a businesswoman. So mm. it's, you're kind you kind of are across all of it. Yeah. I don't think that is that ordinary. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always a bit obsessed with businesswomen because I think there's something incredibly exciting. About building something up from the ground up. And how do you feel at the moment when you look at where you are? You know, you say it's like 10 years on. Yeah. How is that a bit of a moment for you?
4: Um, yeah, definitely, because like there's been lots of different kind of stages to the to the business.
3: Um I suppose, when did you first realise that you were kind of taking it outside of just I
4: suppose my shoulders, how did you get into shoe designing at the beginning? Um, well, I started off at art college, so I, I'd always been like really into into art and creating things and making things out of you know like art, you know crafts and um, colouring in. Like since I was a kid, like that was that was probably the only um, subject at school that I really like looked forward to. Um, and uh, yeah, I went to um, Camberwell College of Art. Um, to do a foundation course I actually applied to do um makeup like specialist like special effects makeup for tv so and film because I thought I liked sculpture and I liked um I just like I like the idea of like completely changing what somebody um like with prosthetics and Mm. things like that Um, yeah I love I love all those yeah and I applied um there was like a degree at uh, London College of Fashion that I applied to, and then I didn't get, I didn't get on that, and then I didn't quite know what to do. So I thought, so I spoke to my art teacher, Mr. Aldi, who was big influence um, for me, and he was like, "We'll just go and do a, foundation, a year's foundation course, and you know, if you still want to do that course, you can apply again. If you want to do something else, you can do something else." So then I. Um, I applied to St Martin's, I didn't get in. I applied to Chelsea, I didn't get in. And then through clearing, I got a place at Camberwell. Um and I actually loved Camberwell. I was like really like suited to the um, in, to the environment there. So um it was a great place to go to do my foundation course. And whilst I was there, we did a lot of life drawing and they mixed it up a bit. It wasn't always just like naked, nakedness and stuff. So there was a <laughs> Um, a model that came in with a big bag of clothes and she kept getting changed every five minutes. We would do a different sketch. And I just found myself really focused on the shoes and um, really enjoyed, like, drawing them and drawing the different lines and the heels and she had, like, this pair of boots that was... was I just wasn't even drawing her, I was just drawing the shoes and I was like, oh, I really like doing that. And then my um, tutor there told me about the... A degree course at Cordwainers so Cordwainers is the shoemaking part of London College of Fashion so I started looking into that and they'd had some like amazing people go there like Jimmy Choo, and you know so it seemed like a great a great place to go and it wasn't just you'd learn how to make shoes as well which was which appealed to me because I loved being in the workshop and loved sculpture and things like that so um yeah I applied to get onto that degree and then I, I yeah that's, that's ended up where. It sparked something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Was
3: there ever any looking back after that, or was it just like, I think I found the thing I've been looking for here that I just love,
4: love the um, idea of
3: creating amazing yeah, shoes?
4: Yeah, no, I, li- I literally never looked back. Like I used to draw a shoe every day since then. Since from the minute I saw that course, I'd become obsessed with um, shoe designers and sketching, and I went to the library and got all of, like, um, Manolo Blahnik books and I found there was a brand um, called Sergio Rossi and on their website their creative director um, is a a man called uh, well he was uh, he was the creative director then like 20 years ago called Edmundo Castillo and he did the most amazing amazing sketches and I just was like right I want to draw like that like that was my goal was to just become like the best at like I could possibly be at Shoes so or just practice all the time, and um, that 's my favorite part of the process is like is the sketching
3: amazing
4: is that something you still do regularly like that when it was two thousand twenty it kind of took a bit of a bit of a step back to just look at at everything that I'd, that we 'd done, and um, the beginning of two thousand twenty one I started this challenge for myself because. The The shoes that I did at the start were, like, super creative and I wasn't necessarily worried about the commerciality of them. It was more just, like, I just wanted to um, really, like, get people's attention and do super colourful, super creative things. And um, when you run a business, obviously there becomes an element of, you know, the, the things that, that matter to the business, like sell-through, like... Uh, making things that introducing styles that are more commercial that are more wearable you know different it it become a bit less about um the Just, real yeah. kind of joy and um so so what I did was I started looking back at all the shoes that I'd done and um, I set myself this challenge to like draw a shoe illustrate a shoe from my archive every day and in my head, it was gonna be this like really fun thing to do, but I'm such a perfectionist that I ended up spending like two hours like every night sketching these shoes and um it was it was it was fun but then at the end of it, I had like three hundred and sixty five sketches of these like super um we call them like the ultimates but like just um you know shoes that I've like put everything into like that um, so now I'm making a book out of those shoes. So, um, yeah, it will, so I can't remember what the question was that you asked me. Well, no, it, it, <laughs> I, I'm, perversely, I find what you're talking about really interesting because yeah.
3: I was thinking about how maybe quite a lot of people can relate to that thing of lockdown being a time when you just go back to, you know, to the things that just bring that pure, pure happiness.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: And I'm sure there are a lot of people who reevaluated a lot of things and yeah, just looked yeah, for yeah. the kernel. What's, like, the key bit of this? So the idea of you going back... You know, when you've sort of... You've got all these layers to running a business, as you yeah. say. Like, okay, but is this commercial? How easy is that to manufacture? Actually, how do you get that finish? It's quicker and easier and cheaper to get this finish. Do yeah. All those extra things, that you the, 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 the muscles that you grow when you're Definitely, actually yeah. doing it for yeah. real. Yeah, But to go back and just look at all these things you did right at the beginning when you weren't thinking with any of those constraints. It was no, just like yeah. design. And actually, I think your stuff has got such a it's got a very, I think I'd know your shoes, you know, without seeing the inside of the sort, you know, I think there's a real identifiable look to a lot of what you do and the the palette and obviously the butterflies and all these things. So I think that that spirit of doing, starting like that, like, I just want to do the things I love and not really having that, you know, coming from, like, the business side of it in terms of, like, you know, the structured manufacturing, but just creativity for its own sake is really lovely yeah
4: also I think it was I was just just looking back and thinking like there's so many like rules when you're a fashion brand or like so or or just like this um calendar and uh I don't know the processes that you just expected to like follow and fall in to line with and Mm. it's like well I really like that shoe that I designed in 2015. Why yeah. is that old? Like, why is that past season? It's not to me. Like, I'd still wear it. I still think it's um, like a amazing shoe. So I started to think like, no, I don't agree with the, the the whole idea of seasons or you know every six months you have to do a new. Well, it's not even every six months because you do pre collection. So it's every three months. There's like a new collection, new collection. It's like the industry is so um focused on newness and it's just it's probably quite similar to to music in a way like when you do an album and then like if I was to do a collection then you have to you sell it then you then you have to promote it so you go into do like different store visits or whoever's bought the shoe whatever department store wherever in the world you go you do events with their customers and so um but it's like every every 6 months it's like a hamster wheel um and and then it's like well what happens to all these shoes from the past I still love so it was it was sort of like a way for me to um to to give them like a a um a place or like that you know something that's I don't want them just like in an archive somewhere you know and I love like when my um Customers like send me pictures of like them in like styles from you know because I don't I don't think they date like I don't design into trends so I don't for me it's like the same I would approach doing a piece of art you know it's like yeah. if I if I was to do a painting I'm still going to have that on my wall um you know or buy a piece of art that I love I'm not going to just put it up on the wall for six months and then <laughs> and then take it down and replace it so yeah That's so
3: true and I don't even think people shop like that I think. There's, like, the side of fashion that, as you say, is, like, on that hamster wheel and really hungry and thirsty for newness. But then there's everybody else who's just kind of getting on with their lives and going, I I really love these shoes. And and when they wear out, I hope I can get new ones or, I hope, you know, I might get them in a second colourway or yeah. something. And they're kind of just yeah. quite happy with that, really. It's like classic. And, you know, we we now do talk a lot more about slow fashion mm. and that has become more of a thing, so a lot of your thinking is actually really something that other people are now understanding is yeah well we started
4: like relaunching a lot of um like favorite styles from the past i get so many people like oh this i love this shoe where can i get and it's like well you know if it might come up on ebay or you know but if it's like if there's a shoe that so many people still want then i just put it back into production and you know put it back in the collection because to me it's still it's still as relevant as it was as it was then
2: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: I just keep thinking about when you're saying about people, seeing people in your shoes and then thinking you're not what they, you don't think you're what they would expect. Do you feel then that within what you do that there's almost like, have you always felt a bit like an outsider with what you do, do you
4: think? Um, yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah, I would say I would say yes to that. Just because the fashion industry is, you know, I always felt like um as when you're a shoe designer, you can kind of sit on the outside. Like we've I've always tried to just stay in my own lane really and not worry too much about um about that side of things in a way. Um and even from when I first very first started, I even from like a price positioning of the brand, I knew that I didn't want it to you know shoes at the time in what was it 2012 were so expensive like for a for a designer luxury designer shoe it's like 800 pounds something like that so I knew I wanted to position myself um I wanted to be a bit more democratic I think and um and that if there's one thing I hate about the fashion industry it's like the like elitism so it's for me, it was really important that the shoes were, like, felt attainable, you know, and um, so when I started, like, the entry price, point, I think was about, I think it was about 250 pounds for a pump, which, like, just a plain shoe, and then the more elaborate it was, it would go higher, but it would still be 200, 300 pounds less than a, a similar product with that, with that much detail and embellishment and things so I know like it's still it's still expensive but it's something that you could maybe someone that's um you know like if I if I imagine myself um in when in my first job like I could save up for that or I could treat myself in the sale or you know something like that not if 800 pounds she goes in the sale, it's it was going to be you know like still 600 pounds so it's like so out of reach to like I don't know, ordinary people. So um, for me, that was quite important, which is why I went to Brazil rather than Italy to to manufacture the shoes. It's a bit different now because I'm more focused on, um, less about competing with price and more about just making sure that it's a, like what is being delivered is like a great quality. So if I'm doing an espadrille, I'll get it made in a factory in Spain. It's amazing quality. You know, we test everything. We... Especially when I added on children's shoes as well, which was something that kind of fell in line with when I had my first daughter. I was like, started to think, you know, he's thinking in um, more of like what I would want her to wear and different things, you know. So a lot of the a lot of a lot of the journey of the brand has um, followed me personally in a way. So when I when we got married, I introduced a bridal line, then I introduced a kids line, but with kids shoes, that's you really do have to do a lot of um testing, a lot of like safe there's a lot of safety things that you can choose as a brand whether you do that or not, but we always make sure we like follow all the correct um testing because I know myself like if you give a shoe to a 2-year-old, it's going they're gonna start chewing on like whatever. If there's like a big gem on it or a big yeah, tassel yeah. or something, it's going in their mouth. So you have to make sure that they're safe. That's you know? interesting. You don't actually. Ha- that's not legal. You uh, actually have to do that. You don't. You don't have to. I think for some no, for some states that. in America, you do. But globally, um, there's different places that have different rules. So it's. it's um, yeah, but then you you could and if you don't have that documentation, then you you could potentially. Um, be liable if somebody's like you know I can see that so yeah so it's better to just just be be safe and and follow the you know the tests that need to be done
3: so it's interesting you say that the, the brand is really closely sort of been so in intertwined with what's been going on in your life which I suppose makes complete sense but what a lovely thing that you can kind of have that symbiosis I suppose yeah so in that regard how did you how's your relationship with um heels changed as you've had more children and pregnancies
4: yeah <laughs> yeah I think um I think there. I think for me personally I definitely wear like lower heels these days or um sneakers but actually when I had the twins my this is why when I had the twins it was so um it was there were so many things <laughs> just happened to me like to my body like my um my uh coccyx is now um it's like broken it's like permanently like in like spasm um and then my feet like the last uh month of my pregnancy I had like really extreme like swelling and basically what happened was the my feet um completely collapsed, like all the bones in my feet collapsed because it was a heat wave as well. Oh, my goodness. So it was like the pressure of the weight. Like I already had to have one of those um, bands with the braces that, like, keeps your belly up. Right. So then after I had the twins, I was expecting my feet to go back to n- normal, but they just didn't. It was like I couldn't fit any of my shoes on or anything, and I went to see a specialist about it, and they said that that was... Um, it needs. I needed to have an operation to basically like pin my feet back together. So, I had to have that done like on one foot, then I had it done on oh the other goodness. foot because it was so painful. And they were like, "Oh, you can, you can." There are specialist shoes that you can wear for this. And I was like, "I'm not sure that's going to work for me." <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, um so wow, yeah. That's, that's, well, firstly, that's what an extraordinary thing to, have to go to. I'm so sorry. That sounds like, almost Victorian, the idea of having your feet sort of pinned back together again. Yeah. But also the cruelty of you being an actual person who, like, literally spends two hours sketching shoes. That's mean, isn't it? Yeah, it's Um, okay though.
4: I'm sort of just half a size, like, bigger than I was now, so I can still squeeze my feet into... Into my um, into my old shoes, but yeah, I think I think in general, there's still women that love high heels, and we'll all oh, have got those customers that they just want the highest heel. Mm. But then, also sneakers and um, mid heights is big is a really big um, market for us as well. So, I always yeah. make sure I design into all different in all different heel heights, and mid heights is actually the hardest thing to to design and get to look. You know, as um, desirable or covetable as the as the high heels, it's actually like super easy to design, like a sexy high heel. It's like the easiest thing to do in the <laughs> world. But designing a sexy mid height that's that's the that's where the challenge is. Yeah,
3: yeah, I can imagine you you can slip very easily into something that just looks sort of a orthopedic or something. And you, <laughs> I love a mid heel, so
4: yeah, I do too. I think that I think there's them. Um, I think it's and and it definitely feels. um you know, you, you can tell the difference, even like a, even from like a like five mil or centimeter difference. It's um, yeah, it definitely makes a, makes a huge difference.
3: Thinking about all the dedication and how much headspace is given over to the brand, how have you found dealing with all of that and keeping that train in motion
4: alongside
3: raising a young family?
4: Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's been different at different stages. So when when I had BB. I was. I think the business was only a year old, um, and my husband. We work together, so it's our it's our business. So he, um, I'm more like take care of like the creative side, and then um, anything to do with like digital, like comms, um, social media, that kind of thing. Anything with like communicating the brand and the story, and then anything to do with accounts or logistics like you know the business end Bobby um focuses on and then we sort of meet in the middle and like (laughs) occasionally argue about things but we're good balance um so when the business yeah the business was only a year old when we had uh so it was like everything was just getting exciting and taking off and we were traveling here there and everywhere um and I was Completely naive to what the impact would be of actually having a baby in tow. Um, So yeah, when when she actually arrived, I yeah hadn't really planned anything out. I hadn't really thought, what am I going to do? And then I was at home and when when they're newborns that they, they just sleep don't know so she was just sleeping all day and I was like I really need to do something like I've gone from being like going at 500 miles an hour to just sitting here and um and we'd moved from uh, Walthamstow to Aldersbrook which is like um in East London but it's the only part of London that's completely surrounded by woodland so I felt really isolated and I I just wanted to be in the office with my baby so um so yeah I think I was probably I think I'd had and I had her by emergency was emergency c-section as well so that was quite traumatic in that I didn't I just I felt I felt like I'd I hadn't properly thought things thought thought things through you know and we were doing London Fashion Week and I'd done the hair and makeup tests in the day and then I went into labor that evening, and. So yeah, it was just I was probably just not really hadn't properly taken in what, what, what might be the reality of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I did was I went to I think she was probably like two weeks old. And then I went to Westfield and bought like the best baby carrier I could find. And then I just took her into the office with me. Cause I thought I don't want to be at home, I wanna be in the office, I wanna be with Bobby. Like we'd lived in each other's pockets for years and um, started this thing, this business, and it was and it was just gaining momentum. And I thought, um, I don't want to have to choose. You know, I can do both. So we, so that's what we did. So then every day we would just take take the baby, take BB to the office, and um, there was like a little mezzanine level where which um, Bobby put carpet in, and we made it really cute, like a little nursery, and then that was just where where she grew up and anywhere that we was i mean she came to the paris like i have to when you sell your collection you sell it when it's paris fashion week so when she was 4 weeks old we was in paris at, at the showroom and um i used to take her to brazil to the factory with me so yeah Amazing. i just cuz i was breastfeeding as well so it was like she would just which I didn't do for the twins because, <laughs> you know, I don't know why. Like, you know, you read certain things. It's like, right, I need to, I must breastfeed. And then you get stuck in this um, way of thinking, like, okay, yeah, this is the best thing to do. I need to do this. And I even had, once um, she was six, maybe eight months old, and then she was getting a bit more mobile, I, um, some days she would go to a, a nursery for half a day near the office in, um, Spitalfields, and then my cleaner at the time, um, she became, she was like, we became good friends, and then she was my, she would, like, look after BB for, like, a few days, um, so she would come and collect her from work, take her home, and, I'm still trying to like pump in the office, and then, and then uh, and my cleaner, Irina, who was Beebe's nanny as well, her mum would come and like collect the milk. It was ridiculous. Like the, the, the pressure I would like put on myself to 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 make sure she had like breast milk. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then I'd be in a meeting and I'd forget, and then. Um, and then she would arrive to recollect and then I'm having to, like, pump under pressure and get, like, barely nothing out. Like, okay. So, yeah, I just... Um, um I just think I I was just completely clueless and just put too much pressure on myself to kind of do everything. Yeah, so when you had the twins, you are like, right, that's one thing, I'm not going to be doing that again <laughs> to myself. Well, yeah, I just thought, with two, I'm just not... I'm just... And also... Like, Every, other people could help me more as well you know Bobby could do a night feed and I'll go to bed early and then I'll do the other f- you know so it's just yeah I just I think it's whatever whatever suits you is the is the best way
3: yeah I'm doing a big emphatic nothing to that because I think that is the thing that you kind of end up learning is like you, you just need the, the big headlines to be that you're you know giving yourself the things that actually make yourself feel supported and less less pressure on you. yeah it's a yes. hard lesson to learn though and you often do learn it by finding yourself a bit on your knees with everything and thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. Why am I pushing myself so much? Yeah. You know, you just want to be a happy, happier parent so you can have be happy with your baby. Yeah. Is that the, the bigger, bigger aim of that? For someone that hasn't had twins like me, what's the biggest difference? Is it literally just like double of everything? Did it feel like a huge shock to the system to have two babies next summer? Yeah, it w- It
4: was... It, it wasn't, it wasn't. You just do everything twice. I mean, the... I definitely think that it's so special to have twins. Like, I feel so lucky to to have them and they have such a amazing um bond and real like you just can't you just can't explain it. Like they're just like such a, a unit, like the two of them, the way they support each other is so sweet and um but, yeah, I mean, you do have to do everything, twice of everything. So leaving the house in the early days when they were still, like, in nappies and your bottles and things like that, I just don't think we left the house that much, to be honest. <laughs> and how did it Because it was work? just too much effort. <laughs> like, getting a baby bag is, together is like a military operation. Oh, my so, goodness. I can only imagine.
3: Yeah. So were you taking them into work as well? No, if
4: it was, like, a big meeting then we and it was a day when I was looking after them, then I would, but... Um, I had like a bit of help with the twins. like um, So if I was going into work for the day, then I'd have a nanny at home that would look after them. So a bit more of a balance with them because, yeah, I think taking one baby, um, you can be a bit more adaptable. But with the twins, there's... Yeah, it's not like they don't just... You know, it's like the second one just, like, slots in. It wasn't really <laughs> like that. It was like we had to do everything. And I had them on such a strict... Um, Schedule as well because I'd read that with twins, if you don't have a a plan or a schedule, it's just it can just be completely chaotic. So yeah, I tried I tried quite hard to keep them on a on a schedule.
3: That's really impressive though to take that on. And I, I mean, hearing everything you're saying, you you talked a lot about you know your perfectionism, and I can hear you know the ambition. And were you ever worried about your ambition waning with
4: with new motherhood, did that ever cross your mind? Were you worried about that? I think it can be difficult, um, especially like being a perfectionist and wanting to be on top of everything. It's 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 definitely forced me to to be a lot more um, better at like delegating or planning ahead, or you know, and and um, I think it's made me a better leader actually, like better manager of people, because I'm just I'm not so on every step of things, which I which I probably would was like in the early days. Just just from like a protectiveness as well of this this um new business that I'd you know, that you feel very protective about things because it's quite easy for things to like spiral out in the wrong direction or maybe something's not quite what you thought or so I would um, check everything, whereas when you've got, you know, three kids, and sometimes I don't even, these days, I don't even, like, look at the Instagram, like, at the weekend or just because I have got time. So it's like if something is, um, I, don't I don't know. I just
3: had to, could, just had to step back. Yeah, bit, okay, I just you...
4: let the team... Um, I just have to be... I'm, it's made me more, like, trusting of people and... Um, yeah in that sense it's 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 definitely better you haven't got time to micromanage what everybody else no, is doing in the yeah. Same
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like I imagine otherwise you'd be like sorry can I just check what you did Sam sure it's fine but can I just have a quick check
4: <laughs> yeah I think that was re- that was quite difficult in the early days because I was only two years out of college and then I started this business and within a year or so we had like 30 employees and I'd never I'd never managed anyone it was that know? quick so, from leaving college um, well, I left college and then I had a job for two years in the industry, and then I set up my own line. So, um, and it gained traction really, really quickly. So it was a, it was just a quite a big adjustment in a way. Yeah. Um and has that always been with Bobby as well? Well, Bobby came came on board. He'd always helped out, like in the evenings, with like accounts and things. As I mean, I'm, I just like spreadsheets of my like nemesis so um but like six months in he was I was getting some quite big orders and I it was it was really I was really panicked um and he he had his own business he was an electrical engineer um so but it was sort of like look we've got an opportunity here like this is this could actually be something really really big so we made a decision that he would come on board and we would, like, grow this, grow it together.
3: Yeah, and no, I mean, I work quite a lot with my husband.
4: And uh, do
3: you find, like, home life stays home when you're quite good at having work life be separate, or is it a bit more kind of...
4: Oh, no, it's like a... There's no, like, home... Like, work... Um, home balance. It's It's like a fluid... Equilibrium that just rolls in and out so um but yeah I wouldn't have it any other way I don't think it it is it's our life it's it's and and even with the kids as well you know like Finn even my stepson he was he's been the one child that's been there throughout all of it so we would be like setting up pop-up shops or setting up doing I don't know I did like windows in some of the stores that I was in in London and we would be setting them up, we'd do everything ourselves in the early days just to keep the costs down and because Bobby's so, he's so good at like building things or um, you know like planning things out and he, he if we did a, we would like design sets together and build them and you know so yeah and Finn was there for everything so it's kind of and then when Bebe came along she was there for everything so it was kind of like this is what this is what we do. This wow. is how we are. Yeah.
3: Do you think every? Do you think it's quite normal for fashion designers to have that much involvement in what's going on with their work? Because
4: it sounds like you've already across everything. I think when you're young, when you're a young brand, that is. Um, I think I'm so lucky that I have Bobby because I think the reason why some you can be like the most creative person and design the most amazing clothes, but if you don't have. That balance, or someone that's gonna say, oh, Well, that's really great, but you're not actually gonna be able to sell that because it's like super expensive. So, um do you know what I mean? Or, yeah, I love that, but I think we need one in, I think you're gonna need to do one in black or do one on a, and it, it I think, I think we were like five years in and um I was, I was like, Oh wow, what are we gonna do for our like fifth year anniversary? And Bobby was like, How about you just design, how about you do like a plane, like a, it was like we were like getting carried away ourselves, and Bob was like, "Can't you just design a shoe like a court shoe, a pump, like something that is like, <laughs> you know, like something simple? <laughs> It'd be great to have like a basic shoe." <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I so, guess you wouldn't take that from just anybody as well, right? So um, it was a, we're a good balance because you can definitely like get carried away. When you're, the, when you know, it's quite easy for like creative person to get completely carried away with themselves. But Bobby always brings it, brings me like straight back down to earth. And um, you know, it's not, it's like shoes. It's not, it's not like we're not saving lives. You know, so um, definitely he's like logistic, lo- like logical, pragmatic methodical approach to things is a is a good balance i think a lot of young designers they don't have that um partner that is as equally emotionally invested as you but actually is not looking at it um with the emotion with the emotion of it being there you know it's not it's not his yeah um creation <laughs> like he's not he's not got that he's like okay we need to work out what price to sell this who's going to make it where we're going to ship it where we're going to land it get it to the stores in within the delivery time you know yeah it's like but it's then if you've got that
3: foundation then you can let let your mind go with a flight of fancy can't you because you've got those things ticking over yeah and someone's keeping an eye on all those those bottom line things I suppose yeah and how did you find it being a step I have someone who has step parents I'm always quite interested in that dynamic was that a role that you found you you had an instinct of how to take it on
4: well when I met Bobby I was like 25 I think so at the time it didn't I wasn't really that I don't think I was really that phased by it or didn't really feel like oh it wasn't I never questioned like do I want to do I want this responsibility or not I was sort of just like oh you know I'd like fallen in love and they came as a package that that was just sort of how it was um but when I when I look at like 25 year olds in my office now and I think wow you know like I don't know if I really I'm the sort of person that just like throws myself into things I don't ever really plan things through to be honest so I don't think I'd ever thought about whether I was ready to to do that or I wanted to do that or not um but I think um it yeah, it was just that that was that was the package deal, yeah, that's you the know. Deal. Yeah. yeah. Um but I think as I think mean, being a step parent now for I mean Finn was four when I met him and he's like sixteen now, so it's like there's no fairy tales where there's like the lovely, kind, friendly stepmom. you know. It's always like the evil stepmother or the wicked stepmother. So, um, so, yeah, Cinderella and Hansel and Gretel have definitely got a lot to answer for from, like, a reputation and, um, like, stereotype that you have to kind of shake. But I've, I've always approached that relationship as, as um, trying to be more than a friend, uh, be, be more of, like, a friend and a, and a mate. You know, because he's got an amazing mum, so I don't. He doesn't need me to 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 be his mum. You know, so so yeah. I just like I've always tried to be friendly, um, be his be his friend, and then the the in the hope that like the love would develop, and it and it and it has. So I mean, it's not always been easy, but he's such a special part of our family. We just and my life would be wouldn't be the same without with without him and um we've we've all tried very hard to make sure that we um have created an environment for him where he doesn't feel any animosity between anybody and there isn't you know like we get we actually get on really well so um that sounds really lovely and
3: I love that take as well of being like a friend and just letting the love develop because I think that's a really I think that is a very instinctive and that means you're you have a very sort of honest exchange in your relationship that yeah. that's their own thing and I love that idea as well of you know it's not like you fell for your husband and then there's this kid you've also it's like that was that was the deal that's yeah the that's yeah how they, how they how they came into your life definitely I think that's really um really positive I'm always interested in that because I think you're right it doesn't have a great reputation but no. also I think it can be really tricky and I think you know for lots of people if they find themselves in that situation I think they probably feel like it's I don't think it gets spoken about, like, all the time, really. Because, that, that, like, being a step-parent, is still a bit, you're still raising. Like, I feel like I was raised by yeah. uh, four people. Because I have yeah. a step-mom, step-dad.
4: They're all in there.
3: Yeah. The, the, good, the good, bad, and ugly. All of it. It's all in there. So yeah. I think, you know, you've got to take it all as that's, that's family. Do, do you come from a big family, actually, I wondered? Is that-
4: um, no, it's just I've got an older sister. So it's just the two of us. And was your mum a working mum? Yeah, my mum... Um, so my mum was, when I was younger, she was a, a teacher and then I sort of saw her kind of go up through the ranks, I guess. As a, as a teacher, she was in a deputy um, head, of, head of English when I was little, then deputy head, and then um, when I was a teenager, she got a headship of a school in, in South London, so of a, a big secondary school. So, um, yeah, I've definitely seen, um, had that... Uh, seen her like work ethic you know she's like I'd say she's a workaholic she was she would I could count on one hand the amount of days that she'd she'd had off of school like wow. she was like if she didn't go in then the world would stop you know <laughs> <laughs> that's her teachers though isn't it <laughs> thank you so yeah um but that that was a she was a great influence um to to kind of see the effort that it takes to to get to where you want to get to um so, yeah, I'm quite fortunate. I've had a lot of, like, strong women. Um, my grandma was a refugee um, in the Holocaust from um, Czechoslovakia. So she, she's um, always had, like, lots of, so many stories and taught me so much about, you know, to, like, her, like how brave she had to be and everything so wow um, so do you remember hearing those when you were little yeah and when I was little and then as I grew up I kind of um probably took more of an interest in it I guess like when you're little you know it's just if you 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 don't really know the like magnitude of things I think but she was an educator at um the Imperial War Museum in South London and she used to teach so every week she would go there and teach different schools about um, school kids about her story, and then take them through the the Holocaust galleries there. Which wow. now, only now, realise that how like draining that must have been, like every week to do that. But it was so important to her to um to to tell that story and make sure that you know it's never forgotten. How old was she then
3: when she was a refugee? Do you know? Um, seven, I think.
4: Oh,
3: yeah. Wow. Wow, you're right. That is really. I think that's a really um, perceptive thing to say. It must have been draining for her to go th- to, to have to keep that so alive, but it's so important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I follow a few. Uh, there's a Twitter account actually where they have um, the, the people who were involved in the Holocaust, like the people who who died in the in the camps, and also people who survived. And they just show a picture and just tell that story of that one person. And yeah. they, I think they do one every day. My mum started showing it to me, so I started following them. And she's like, "It's so important to remember. You know, history is." keeping those stories and those names out there and keeping it going. Yeah,
4: definitely. I think it is,
3: especially at this time where there's not very many people from that generation still around to tell those stories. No. That must have been quite a big deal to have that as part of your childhood, actually. Even if you weren't really aware of it in the same... As you say, you didn't understand the magnitude, but Mm. to have something like that that's got that real... I mean, that's a survivor's story, basically, you know? A really, really young child having having to survive something horrific... Uh, I think that's um, that's an incredible thing to have in your family, actually. Mm. And do you have creatives in your family, or was that just you?
4: Yeah, no, not really. I mean, my my grandparents were butchers. I think I oh, think they're cool. the butchers yeah. in Peckham. I'm um, sure there's an art to it, <laughs> it, but I wouldn't describe it as a creative thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, my mum was a teacher, um, and my dad was. dj and um he used to like manage betting shops as well oh cool yeah
3: yeah i mean
4: he could do do really good bubble writing like he used to do we used to write all the races out in in bubble writing i remember being quite (laughs) impressed by that when i was little um, you just we used to spend a lot of time in, in betting shops, actually. When we was little. My sister, I remember my sister had a birthday party, her, like, eighth birthday party in my dad's betting shop. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Which seemed completely normal at the time. But thinking about it now, it's pretty unorthodox. I can't That's imagine right, myself right. giving out, like, birthday party invites so You've got no birthday school. coming up <laughs> later this year. We can we consider that? Go, go into a little spot of gambling? Give them all some chips?
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean it was it was that was that was normal to us,
3: yeah. Does um the creativity that you have in you does that is that a part of your kids' life
4: all the time? Are they always crafting and drawing and or are you not really that is it just a kind of I think where there's so much colour and so much um I don't know, like details and even like the clothes that I would buy for BB when she was little, like so many prints and colours and things like that that I found that she has actually like rebelled against that. <laughs> away and obviously my mini collection like I fit everything so you know the one the most important thing with kids shoes is for them to be comfortable so the factory will always make me things in whatever sizes the girls are and then I'll um I'll fit them on them um but with yeah with my eldest daughter now she's she like she's had so much like colorful shoes and butterflies and everything that I bought home I was sampling this new espadrille factory and I think um it was it so for like a prototype, they would just make it out of any spare leather or spare f- fabric in the in the factory. So it was like a cream leather espadrille, like super plain, no detail. And I and I was like, Bibi, can I just try this on you?" And just and she was like, "Oh, okay." And then <laughs> and then she was like, "Mummy, I think this is the best she's ever done."
0: <laughs> 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 like so
4: offended because it was just completely not it wasn't not like my design and it was like the plainest <laughs> simplest shoe she was like can I keep these I was like oh my gosh yeah you that's, know, that's like,
3: rebellion. yeah
4: <laughs> she just wants to wear like super super plain like or just like big long you know she, but she's she watches like all on YouTube and things like that so she just she's got her own style now she's yeah. not um She's not super colourful anymore. She's, like, a bit cooler. She'll so, come back to it. Yeah. She'll come back yeah, to it. Sake. I remember
3: my monochrome <laughs> days. You come back to the colour, for sure.
4: <laughs> I just let them do... I just kind of... I think if, you, if you've got a strong feeling of how you want... You know, I, I wouldn't fight that. I just, like, let her wear what she wants.
3: Well, if you're someone that's quite... Um, you know, you've got your perfectionism and do, do you find it easy to just let them be... Yeah, because I find aspects of that quite hard. With the, like, you know, the fact you've just got all these individuals
4: and you just got to let them
3: do what they do. And
4: um, yeah, I do. I've sort. I, I probably did go for a stage of 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 being just like, oh my god, like, because when my husband takes, if he takes them to the park, they they just wear whatever they put on, so they just look completely like crazy. Um, <laughs> And um, so one of my twins, um, she doesn't, she only likes to dress as, as in the Batman costume. And then the other twin is um, proper princess, girly, everything needs, she wants to wear a different tutu every day. So they're completely opposite. And um, when they get themselves dressed or she's like, no, I want that top with that the, that skirt and that top. And in my head, I'm like, they, they just don't go. <laughs> but I just, I try and, like, persuade her against it. But no, she's like, no, that's what I want to wear, I'm like, okay, fine. Sometimes you're kind yeah. of rooting for
3: them, though, when they do the yeah.
4: things around. they like, yeah, just yeah. go for it. So I've, I've, I just, yeah, turn a blind eye to to these um yeah I'm sure when they're older and they see pictures of themselves they'll be like why did you let me go out like that and I'm like because you wanted to like that was your choice you know um so yeah we look like a bit of a motley crew when we're out and about but no it's all good
3: you haven't seen my kids motley (laughs) crew is what we do well do um so I always ask everybody if you're if they're the kind of mother that they they thought they'd be so do you are you do you think you're the sort of mother you thought you'd be before you had kids
4: yeah I don't know I guess I guess you have this like picture of how things might be and then the reality of that it's like super different like we do a lot of like drawing and painting and things but then i just get frustrated because <laughs> it's like the amount of times you know like you've got like a, a thing of felt tips and pencils it's like the amount of times I have to like sort that out again or just sort out it's just it's just complete
3: chaos i wonder as well if you'll look back at this time in your life with all these many children around you and your business literally running completely almost like in sync alongside it because it sounds like you know you had your stepson from pretty much get-go and then it was like baby 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 and another baby Mm. and it's like you're gonna look back on this
4: period of like whoa that was very busy yeah, yeah, it does. It does definitely feel busy, and then I, I don't think I think what I wouldn't have predicted with the amount of like organization and planning from like a social calendar, like for the kids. Do you know what I mean? So, party invites and this, that, and the other. It's like every the admin. Yeah, the admin. Yeah, because <laughs> I hate admins, So. <laughs> So yeah, that that bit I find really quite difficult and like navigating all different clubs and emails and WhatsApp groups, I, yeah. find, I find that really hard. It's quite a noise in your
3: head actually as well, isn't it? A lot of yeah. that stuff I find. It's yeah. like, stop it, get out of there. It's not actually, a lot of it's not that important.
4: No. And it yeah. kind of
3: takes up more space than I need. It's like a, it's, I find it sometimes like a sort of latent stress, mm. that sort of hum of all those things. and Yeah what you've forgotten to reply to and what you've got to keep up with and all of that. Mm. But I think that's something that a lot of people experience. I think it's quite normal, but it's just that feeling of, like, ah, all those things, those things. Yeah. If if your kids end up wanting to get into their own business, have you got... What would be the advice you give people doing what you've done and setting up on your own? Just
4: follow what it is that they've really got, like, real sort of passion for, like, hunger for. Like, sometimes I feel sometimes I worry that they might not have that in the same way that like me and their dad did because obviously they've grown up differently you know and um I think when you grow up you know like when I started like I had nothing to lose you know I didn't it was like everything was for the taking and um and yeah I think they probably would have grown up a bit differently but then when i see when I see, them, when I see my daughter and how she loves like um, she loves performing arts and she loves gymnastics and she'll like be out and doing like a tumbling and stuff and she'll just want to get it right and it's like and i think oh no she does have that like tenacity and hunger and you know i think you really do need that like fire in your belly to be able to go out and like grab the thing that you want um, and I think like teaching teaching them that was like, I was worried about teaching them that, but I just think that's like that's like instinctive anyway. Um so so yeah, I would just always encourage them to to like follow that, the way that, that my mum and my dad um encouraged me and my sister to to just go out and like grab grab opportunities with both hands. Yeah,
3: I think that's wonderful. I think actually that's probably like one of the most important things really because i think as you say if you've got that fire in you and that that thing in you that, that hunger for it
4: you just yeah. you just find the way to make things you just keep pushing on don't you yeah you just keep banging on 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 doors until they open for you yeah exactly well yeah. i wish you all the best with your new baby <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> thanks so much for talking to me thank you for having and me
3: congratulations with all you've achieved honestly i think it's brilliant it's no small feat what you've done with everything and building such a big successful business so congratulations oh, thank you so much <laughs> oh thank you so much Sophia that was a lovely chat I really enjoyed talking to, to her and um the serendipity of her going to art college and drawing that model with the shoes and then thinking hang on a minute this is really resonating with me shoes is it and shoes is such a specific side of fashion isn't it it's got such um resonance with people you know obviously clothes do but shoes in particular you know you sort of everybody you know probably has got a sort of shoe personality if you know what I mean I mean I know even if you don't like shoes and you just wear quite a sort of um basic Uh, hard-working shoes, that becomes part of a shoe personality, if you know what I mean. like Basically, how you express yourself that way. Like, I know when I think of my mum, and I think of my mum's shoes, I can immediately picture things she wore when I was a child, summer shoes she would have had, things she wears now. In fact, it's a nice coincidence, she has a pair of Sophia Webster sliders that she wears on holiday that she had for absolutely ages. And, yeah, I've got tons of shoes, so maybe they've got a special thing for me because... I still remember the first heels I ever bought. They were from Shelly's and they were like sort of Gucci platform style. Um, sorry, Gucci loafer, but with a platform and a heel, which weirdly seemed to come back in fashion. I saw them in the shop the other day. Very similar thing. But yeah, I think shoes and what, what shoes you've worn at different times in your life. And it's always been something I've taken pleasure in anyway. And yeah, I've got way too many shoes upstairs. Blimey. I don't know what I'm waiting for. I, probably only wear about 10%. My gig shoes, and now they take a pounding. I wear them till they fall apart. Stamp, stamp, stamp to the disco beat. Um, But yes, thank you, Sophia. Thank you to you, obviously. And I said in the intro, ciao, grazie mille. And that might have given you the idea that I can speak some Italian. And actually, I can't. I've just started learning again. I bought one of those uh, apps with the year subscription to learn Italian. And I've been paying for it for two years now, and I haven't learned much. And now I've just bought a different language app and again paid for a year subscription in the hope that I will get back on that little language horse. But really, I think I've only learned to say things like, Arrigazzo, mangiare la mela," una mela." Got distracted by the doorbell. That me and my kids are home. Um, it's about to get very noisy in here. Listen, love you lots. See you next week. And, um, oh golly, I'm a bit scared when I open the door. All that relax is going to go. Anyway, speak to you soon. Thank you for listening. Um, Arrivederci.